Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. My name is Corey Engelhart. I'm the host. Uh, before I go on and start the show with my guest tonight, I just wanted to apologize. Last week, I missed the show. And there's actually been quite a lot going on in my personal life. Um, I won't get too much into details, but um, last weekend, we moved to my mother-in-law's house, who was nice enough to let us live with her for a time. Um, and we're working to sell our current house um, and live with mother-in-law so we can hopefully make a little money on the house we have and save some money for a down payment and um, maybe next spring or summer buy a bigger house because the house we have is a beautiful house and love the area, love the neighborhood, but just um, two kids and need a little bit more space. Um, I think if our current house had a finished basement, it would have been fine staying where we are. And um, But the house that we have, just it wasn't um, – the basement is not, just not in a state to be able to fix it. So the last week, week and a half has been pretty hectic as far as painting and um, ripping up carpet today and starting to pack up everything and get it all ready. And then even on top of that, last week – Wednesday through about Sunday, I was pretty much down and out with a sinus infection that I'm pretty much over now. So last week just wasn't in the cards. Um, I missed a week. Um, That happens. But I'm excited to be back and uh, do the podcast again on a weekly basis, and we're going to continue this for as long as I'm having fun with it, basically. That's kind of what it comes down to. So um, without further ado, my my guest for this evening, I'm going to bring him on and let him introduce himself, and we'll go from there. How you doing, Corey? Hey, Jamie, are you there? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to finally talk in person. Yeah, for sure. How, how are you? Tell tell um, how are you, and tell the listeners who you are, and how uh, we can get into how we got connected and get the show started. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm I'm doing well. Um, big Minnesota sports fan. Um, my family and I just moved back to the Twin Cities area after um, being in Dallas, Texas for the last three years, and then um, in Detroit, Michigan for five years before that. Um, so <clears throat> my wife is originally from the, the Twin Cities area, um, and we have a a one-and-a-half-year-old just about. Um, so we decided to move home so we could be closer to family. Um, but um, obviously the the big plus side of that for me is being on um, home turf sports-wise for about <laughs> the first time in the last uh, in the last eight years um, and not being uh, consistently outnumbered by opposing fans. Um, so <laughs> that's a, a, a little bit about me, and it's, uh, it's exciting to be back in a – Twins and Vikings and Timberwolves territory, man. Sure, I get that. Well, uh, you and I met, and we haven't met in person yet, but you and I have met through uh, Twitter more than anything. And right. I find I find social media just fascinating sometimes just because there's so much information and it feels overwhelming a lot of times going on the site. But then, like, uh, there are good things. You can meet people and, and strike up conversation and talk about things that other people enjoy that you enjoy. And um, there's, there's good things that come with that on top of just the bombardment of things that people even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe didn't, didn't have that at their fingertips. Uh, If people wanted to connect with you on Twitter, what is your Twitter handle? If people are looking at sports. For for sure. Um, So yeah, that is funny how we got connected. And I feel like it was a super organic of randomly, um, kind of liking each other's tweets and random things that the other person was talking about. Um, but my sure. Twitter handle is, is at J underscore D underscore Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N. Okay. And, and you prefer to go by Jamie, you were saying. So Jamie is your, is your name in, yeah. in real life, not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. In real life, just uh, went to something shorter on Twitter. Yep. Okay. Well, how did you um, – so I, I was fascinated just visiting you a little bit. You um, 
didn't grow up in the United States. I, I'm curious how Hi. you <laughs> came to appreciate uh, Minnesota sports as a whole and maybe on top of that, Minnesota baseball um, for someone yeah. who, who didn't uh, grow up here. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a random story. So I was actually born and raised in London, England. Um, I lived there for most of my um, young life. Um, I started coming to the U.S. when I was about 18. Um, a very, like, random encounter. I was coming um, for some consecutive summers to work. Um, and, and one of my first, like, forays into the Twin Cities, um, one of my friends took me to a Twins game at the Metrodome. Um, so my first Twins baseball experience actually wasn't until I want to say it was the 2004 season. Um, okay. And uh, I went to my first game, and that was uh, Brad Radke pitching, um, and, and he pitched a five-hit shutout against the Royals, who, um, you know, were the laughing stock of the division at that time. Um, <laughs> but that's how yeah. it piqued my interest, um, and and then it quickly became. Um, quickly became a, a passion and then kind of more of an obsession. And of course that was in the midst of a, a really nice period of, uh, in twins history of like the, the, the tail end of uh, Tory Hunter leading into like Mauro Morno, Kadaya, Nathan, um, and all of those mainstays that um, won so many division titles, but didn't necessarily make it super far in the playoffs. Um, so sure. a very like random entrance, but um, has, has quickly become, um, passion number one for sure. Sure. Well, I'm I'm always uh, this podcast for me. It kind of started as a way to search for how baseball and sports, in a sense, can be a way that you interpret and learn uh, life in some ways. Just learning patience, learning mm-hmm. uh, the ability to lose, hopefully graciously. <laughs> a lot of other. Uh, skills and, and, and learn how to process information. There's a lot of things about baseball specifically that I feel like you can learn about life itself too. And that's why I maybe wanted to start this podcast as, as a whole. And one question I've asked other people on the show is, is there a certain moment or a player, and you mentioned Brad Radke, but is there a certain moment that you remember um, – starting to love the sport of baseball specifically, or was it more just the experience of going to the game the first time? Or how did you, when did you know you loved the sport of baseball? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And, and definitely something I've thought about a little bit. I think, uh, man, like uh, in those early days, Johan Santana was the guy for me. Um, Just, just, uh, (laughs) and I feel like that's been kind of augmented over time, right. Of like, the twins have this great struggle to find dominant starting pitchers. And I feel like he was really the last like truly dominant starting pitcher um, aside from the beginning of Liriano's time before he um, blew out his arm against the A's. But I think um, it was watching Johan Santana consistently um, just absolutely dominate folks that really, um, he he was like the first player. I was like, yes, uh, this, this is the guy. Um, um, and, and he, he was really my, my entry into like, yes, this is definitely a sport. I love that. And I think also, um, I want to say it was the Oh three world series. Um, and it was Marlins Yankees. Um, and Marlins were just this heavy, heavy underdog. I think they'd, um, gotten in as a wild card team. Um, and that was in, um, like the infancy of, of Josh Beckett's career with the Marlins mm-hmm. um, when he was a super stud prospect throwing 98-99. Um, but I remember them upsetting the Yankees in, in six games and and uh, just falling in love with the idea that on, on any given night or in any given series, um, anybody has, has a shot to beat anybody else. Um, so those are definitely two things that stick out for me. That's awesome. Well, yeah, uh, learning to love baseball later than some do who are maybe around it as kids. What what kind of sports mm-hmm. or, or um, activities or, or whatever, you, I don't know what you want to call it. What, what were yeah. you into as a kid? What did you play as a kid? Yeah, so the, I guess soccer was number one for me. Um, I played pretty seriously um, at, a, at, a, at a pretty competitive level up until – 
Um, I was 16 and, and ha- had a serious injury with a broken ankle. Um, but I did a lot of sports um, through high school and then um, into college too. I um, continued on with soccer, but in, in high school I also ran track and um, was passionate about that. Um, honestly, anything. I enjoy to participate in anything and just be active, um, and I, I still do. And it's, it's not necessarily reflected in, in team sports now. I enjoy, um, like, CrossFit and, and other workout-type stuff, but um, I've always been a, a, a person who liked to be active and outdoors. Um, so it, it's felt very natural to um, to, like, adapt and pick up um, the U.S. the U.S. sports really really quickly and easily. Um, and I think another helpful thing is in the U.K. like access is really good. Um, access to the NFL. Um, it's on just like your regular TV channels. Um, if you're willing to stay up okay. late for it. Um, and the sure. same was true of baseball for a while. So um, that that was one thing that was never an issue. It was always on TV. That's fun. Yeah. So you mentioned you have a young child. I have I have two year old, almost three year old twins. And I start to think about the sports I want to help them learn, and I'm I'm not mm-hmm. I'm absolutely not somebody that's going to tell them they have to do anything. I just <laughs> the general rule I want is that they're going to do something. They they can't not do an activity, be it music or right. theater or sports, whatever it is. They have to choose something and do that. And I'm all for whatever they want to do, but I think. Maybe I, th- I think I'm drawing the line. I'm starting to draw the line more at sports or activities that they can. I call them lifetime sports, I guess, where mm-hmm. um, they're activities or sports that they can do hopefully for an entire lifetime. I guess, mm-hmm. and and baseball maybe doesn't even necessarily fall along those lines, but it kind of does. But I'm, I guess, just uh, getting getting a perspective maybe from somebody who didn't grow up here, like I. I don't want my kids to play hockey or football necessarily, or maybe even arguably lacrosse just for the fact that I don't know that they're going to be able to easily play that sport um, mm-hmm. and not garner injuries. And I don't think they'll be able to play that sport, those sports when they're 75, which is kind of the rule that I'm going with. And I don't know if I'm being an overbearing parent or not, but I'm. <laughs> that's how I've kind of looked at it as far as what I'm going to help guide them towards but they're still going to be able to choose what they want to do um do you do you think about that sort of stuff being a parent now then because i never really thought about that before i i had kids of my own for sure and i feel like i feel like however much i want to pretend otherwise i i feel like i may have some unintentional bias in what i steer my daughter (laughs) towards but um yeah man i like i think that's totally a, a legit thing like not only are certain sports like a little bit inaccessible just because, um, you know, either because of like the physicality of them, like football or hockey or whatever. I think I I also think like there's families and kids that are being like priced out of, of like really over competitive youth sports market. And there's like, you know, travel ball and like, it's like both weekend days and weekdays. And it's just, um, so so competitive and so so serious and there's people t- willing to pay top dollar for you know great coaching for their kid um i feel like at the end of the day um i want my daughter to be able to try a lot of different things and and if that um is something that she seems passionate about helping her pursue that um but exactly like you said man um giving her a choice and giving her exposure and and trying to um you know nudge her towards finding something she's passionate about without necessarily um, projecting projecting what mine is or or, um, what she should do. Um, So hopefully something will fall into place at some point here. Sure, I'm with you there. And I I also feel like, I don't know, do you feel like in the UK where you grew up, sports were different when you were a kid compared to now? Like you, you mentioned how there's traveling and other some sports absolutely have a, a situation where maybe the more money or access you have, the better chance you have mm-hmm. to have your child be seen, that sort of thing. Is is it becoming more of a – it feels almost professional at a younger age or, or like right. a job in a sense. Is that is that worldwide or is that more of an American thing? 
I, re- I really think that's more of a U.S. thing. I think, um, you know, like my, I, I even came to soccer, what's like considered late um, in, in um, the U.K. I didn't start playing until I was about seven. Um, a lot of kids started like three or four because that's just like really the number one thing. Um, and I feel like there's sure. less choice um, or, or less variety. But I, I really think that's a U.S. thing of like, and and it filters down from like professional sports down to the the amount of money um, that is bound up in the college sports system and like college football and basketball here. Um, yeah, that it almost feels like every lower level is just kind of like a feeder pattern for the next thing up. Um, so I, the, you know, my early soccer experiences were really really casual um, mm-hmm. until I you know, saw that I had some kind of ability and um, wanted to take it a lot further myself. Um, but I, I think that definitely is, like, a very unique U.S. phenomenon for sure. Sure. Well, I, I guess I don't need to pry too much, but I'm I'm curious why when you were working after high school or college, um, of all of the places to come in the United States, like <laughs> New York, Los Angeles, uh some of the warmer states. Why? Why Minnesota? I'm always curious as to people, why people yeah. choose here. Well, I, I guess more anything because I've lived in other places too, and I'm I'm just curious. But <laughs> um, it actually wasn't a choice. Um, so it was a placement. Like it was a program that had a placement. Um, and and I was of the a similar mindset where I was like, put me on a coast. Um, wasn't <laughs> like super familiar with like. Uh, U.S. geography for those for like all of the middle states um, besides anything on the east or west coast. So when I got my placement, it was Minnesota. Um, I legitimately had to get out a map and look it up. Um, so <laughs> it, it was completely random chance. Um, but um, sounds kind of trite and cliche, but I, I quickly fell in love with um, the Midwest and the Twin Cities, and 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 that was with the benefit of. Um, working in the summer and avoiding the winter. So that was definitely a shock to the system when it came for the first time, but um, it was completely by accident, but it, it turned out to be a, a happy chance for sure. That's awesome. And I, I have to say, so I, I lived in Massachusetts for a little while and I worked for a minor league baseball mm-hmm. team out there for, for one season, not, not for longer. Um, I would have done longer. It's just, I couldn't afford it, but um, there were season ticket holders in Massachusetts who um, and I shouldn't paint too broad a brush, but there were season ticket holders that I met that uh, also would have to pull out a map to find Minnesota, and they're in the right. same country. I always thought that was funny. So <laughs> I, I don't know that you are any different than the majority of people who don't live on a coast, I guess. Right. <laughs> Definitely but, agree with that from what I've uh, from what I've experienced, and even in Texas, like people have a difficult time recognizing that there's anything outside of their own uh, state or what, you know, they think of it as a country. So, um, <laughs> yeah, people people are unfamiliar, but that's okay. Minnesota is a hidden gem for sure. Yeah, and, well, you just moved back here uh, recently, and you're, you're all moved in mm-hmm. and settled and, and happy to be back. So that's awesome. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm happy for you. Yep, definitely well, yeah, excited so- and here to stay for sure. That's great. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I, um, this is a baseball podcast and I know you and I have, um, chatted over Twitter before, uh, about different mm-hmm. thoughts, mostly about the twins, but maybe baseball in general too. Um, this, this podcast specifically tonight, we can kind of do some thoughts, maybe like I, I like to call it a postmortem on the <laughs> twin season and the, one game playoff against the Yankees. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any general thoughts either from, let's go maybe first for the season as a whole. Do you have any thoughts on, sure. on the season as a whole? Yeah. I mean, um, it's helpful being like a day or so removed from the game and not in the immediate aftermath. Um, uh, you know, of course, pleasantly surprised um, by the season. Um, I don't think anyone expected the twins to be even sniffing around a wild card. Um, and I was, kind of by default because there was so much mediocrity in the American league, but um super impressed and, and, and really excited. I feel like I've been telling 
or been having the conversation with people that aren't, you know, familiar with Twins baseball for like the last four years of like, you know, great farm system, great prospects, just wait a couple of years, we'll be back to um, back to what we were when we're consistently challenging for and winning the division. So super, super excited at the progress. Um, of course, bitterly disappointed with, the performance against the Yankees, especially after the, like the euphoria of the top of the first, um, I think I was about mm-hmm. to get a noise complaint against my house. Um, <laughs> so, so overall, like every reason for optimism. Um, I really, and you know, I've seen mixed, um, mixed kind of coverage and reviews on Twitter. I really um, am impressed with how Falvey and Levine have handled their first season. Um, they they haven't necessarily done a ton, um, but I feel like we're going to start to see a little bit more aggressive changes um, from them moving forwards and, um, you know, have some very specific um, ideas about things I'd love to see the Twins do in the off season to get stronger because, you know, despite the improvement and the good performance, I still feel like it's a, it's a very um, familiar broken record of um, – not enough high quality, high end starting pitching. Um, not enough um, whiff rate and K's from the bullpen, which is uh, a tale as old as time for Twins fans for sure. Well, yeah. As far as we, as far as those statistics have really been used, the Twins have been very right. much near the bottom of the league. So, I, I think, I think I'm with you as far as I, I have hope that. Um, Salvi, especially coming from Cleveland, can can uh, mm-hmm. bring a mindset and a, a viewpoint of the type of player they are hopefully going to um, search out and attempt to acquire starting this off season. Where really it is the first full off season they'll have as the the new bosses of the of the of the team, and and hopefully I'm hopeful they're they're aggressive. But you're right that this past season was. Um, super enjoyable. I, I did not expect them to win like they did. I was going into the season hoping that we would see progress from a lot of their young core, and, and we we saw that in spades across the year, really. And it was, mm-hmm. it was fun to watch the growth of a lot of the players that – some that I didn't even – I frankly, April, May, still I was I was ready to write off a few players as in – they're not going to be around much longer, frankly. And, right. and Rosario, especially, he was he was up there for me along with Polanco. I I wasn't ready to just cut bait, but I was not thinking that they were players that the team would build around for the next three, four, five years. And that certainly changed as the year went along. And it was just fun to watch the the team um, in a lot of sense, at least offensively, kind of gel together and become a pretty solid unit in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Polanco, I remember like the conversation in the, in the Twins Twitterland being, uh, it's it sucks that he's out of options because he would be at AAA in Rochester um, if he had an option, and and people really feeling like he should be DFA'd for a long, long time, and then just had a ridiculous second half, and then. Um, Rosario too, starting to put it together, you know, outside of his old kind of streaky ways and cutting down on strikeouts and um, just having an amazing second half. Like, and, and you know, that's just the beginning. Buxton, I feel like, of course, is um, super exciting and like it's hard because I feel like my tendency and maybe the tendency of lots of Twins fans is just to um, project these great second halves of all of these players across a full season for next year and assume that, um, you know, Polanco, Rosario, Buxton, Maurer, Dozier are all going to replicate what they did in the second half across a whole season. Um, But even with a a little inconsistency, I would say, the Twins should, um, at least the lineup, um, should stand to be a little stronger in the first half of the season next year compared to this year because um, that was definitely a struggle. Dozier had a rough first half. Maurer had a difficult beginning. Buxton um, Buxton was literally um, a cardboard cutout at the plate for the first two months of the season. So um, <laughs> sure. definitely excited for the, for the offensive prospects um, for next year. 
Well, and and like you mentioned, how a lot of players had a slow start. Miguel Sano basically carried the team for the first half of the year, if right. not longer, and then had his injury concerns. And hopefully, he can come back healthy next year um, and have a full season. Maybe not even as hot as he was the first half, but just a full healthy season would be so great for the entirety of the team. Along, I mean, it was it was so nice to see. I mean, they didn't really have a. You could argue in some nights Kepler against the left-hander or Castro at mm-hmm. times, but otherwise their lineup top to bottom was fairly strong even when Snow was out. So bringing Snow back and maybe having Escobar get more at bats, it's a lineup that's easy to dream on even if they're not going to replicate the sort of insane numbers <laughs> a lot of them did in the in you know post post the trade deadline I guess or post August. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, I remember when Sano went down and was hurt, um, and, and it was kind of murky what had happened. I, I remember, you know, a very, like, doomsday feeling of, like, well, the offense is going to be a real struggle, and how can the Twins possibly hope to, like, claw back ground or, or, or um, keep up the pace in the wild card hunt? But so many people stepped up. I was thinking about it yesterday, and, you know, hopefully projecting out over a full season next year, assuming health, which is, of course, a big if. Um, No, the Twins have like six or seven 20 homer guys between Sano, potentially Buxton, Rosario, Polanco, um, Escobar, um, I think had 21. And so um, just like a really, really um, exciting lineup, hopefully. Sure. And and Dozier, if if – I, I, I'm assuming he's back, but yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of, I mean, you could argue maybe the DH position, if, if Sano isn't moving there, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. the DH position could use an upgrade, at least in the power department. Maybe I mean, Castro was about average for what a catcher does, but mm-hmm. if they could find an upgrade, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push for it. I think he's fine there, but yeah, they have a, they have a lineup that doesn't, theoretically have a lot of holes right now and that's that's exciting to see especially when the majority of the players are 23 24 25 years old yeah it's, it's fun to fun to dream on in a lot of sense yeah a hundred percent and i you know i think castro um will be penciled in given that they signed him for, for three years 30 whatever million it was um i think you're absolutely right dh is really the spot to target i think um, you know, Grossman is fine, and I know he has his um, his his kind of homers that love the fact that he's on base so much. But um, in in terms of a DH role, um, you know, you don't really want him anywhere near a glove. So I think DH is a spot to target, and there's there's definitely a few a few guys um, next year. I know I hate the idea of Jose Bautista. I know people have kind of <laughs> floated that around for the last few seasons. Melky Cabrera had a decent year for the Blue Jays, although that didn't work out too great the last time. Um, but maybe like Carlos Santana, assuming the Indians don't re-sign him, or someone like Adam Lind, um, who I want to say was with the Brewers this year, um, for like ideally like a, a switch or a right-handed switch hitter or a right-handed DH would um, definitely be a strong add, I think, for next year. Sure. Well, you mentioned a few names. You don't like Jose Bautista, the idea on a one-year deal for him. You don't. You don't like that idea. Ah, uh, like I, I don't know, man. Like maybe, and and he's always mashed and destroyed the Twins, specifically at Target Field. Um, maybe I'm a little biased. Like I had him in a fantasy team this year, and he was just miserable um, <laughs> in terms of. Uh, average and his power was out for the first half of the season and he ended up a little bit more towards the end of the year but I want to say he finished with like 21 home runs um so maybe if the money's right he would definitely be a huge upgrade from from Grossman don't get me wrong I just I think I'm also a little biased because I can't stand him um but that's a a a personal thing well I'm you say Grossman like I I look at his if they do bring in a DH, somebody like a Batista, mm-hmm. I've heard um, Todd Frazier thrown out there. There, mm-hmm. obviously, there's Carlos Santana or JV Martinez. I don't know if they're going to be able to pay those those guys, but I would love that. But 
Um, I think the upgrade more, not even Grossman, because if they bring in a DH, it could be somebody that could um, uh, platoon with Kepler once in a while and in right maybe, or even give Maurer a rest at first or Maurer DH when there's a mm-hmm. lefty, something along those lines. It could be somebody that kind of fills in that role unless they're really thinking Sano moves to DH really quickly. But um, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that has to beat out Grossman. I think Grossman arguably has a place on the roster as a pinch hitter or occasional DH against lefties regardless. But if they find somebody and bring somebody in as a DH, I, I see that person taking the place of Kenny Vargas more than I do Robbie Grossman. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Grossman definitely has some, some value and I would definitely keep him around as a bench bat. Um, Vargas has, um, you know, you know, we said we don't really want Grossman near, near a glove. Vargas really is very <laughs> limiting just because he, he doesn't really offer much at the plate. Um, and he, he, he doesn't really offer much with a glove either. And I think, it's interesting seeing people's reactions to Vargas because I feel like um, there's this idea of like maybe it will all click for him, and I don't know whether that's because he's like a big dude and looks like a power hitter, or you know <laughs> because he you know he had like some kind of mentor-mentee relationship with David Ortiz a while back or what it is, but um, he's shown pretty consistently in a, a decent number of major league at bats that. Um, He's he's not a super valuable contributor, so I definitely agree with that. Um, I think, you know, if the Twins can throw around some money, and uh, you know, of course, JD Martinez, I feel like it's probably going to be priced out for the Twins just because of such an incredible um, second half, and and I'm sure Santana might sign elsewhere, but um, definitely someone who could spell Maurer up first or an outfield spot. Um, especially in breakup, the the number of left-handed at bats in the lineup would be great. Sure, yeah, and yeah, the idea of Martinez—he's somebody that if I was playing video games, I would put on the Twins. But, <laughs> um, I, I can see I can see the Twins being worried about Sano unless he. Uh, I, I hate to say the idea that he's not in shape. He, he's somebody that has mm-hmm. a four, five, six percent body fat and is just a specimen human being athlete. But he, there just aren't players that play defense regularly that weigh 280. The, the players, mm-hmm. the athletes that are are the size of him with the muscle that he has are are more defensive linemen in football rather than baseball. So it, it doesn't mean he can't do it. And he certainly looked fine at third for the majority of the year. And I don't I don't know if he even got hurt because of how large of a person he is. But I we hear so much about how people within the organization wish he would be in a different shape than he is. And I don't have a problem with the way he is, but if, if he needs to lose 30 pounds to be able to get through a season fully healthy, playing a defensive position, like that's an issue. Um, otherwise I can see them yeah. moving to know to DH regularly and have Escobar or somebody else play third and, Maybe the defense is even better at that point if that is the case. Yeah, that I mean that was like a super interesting, um, you know, thing with the Suhan article and such a strong like and um, kind of visceral reaction from Twins fans. I think you know Sano played pretty average third base, which was a massive upgrade from um, how he looked the previous season, and certainly. Um, he had struggled with struggled defensively in pre- previous seasons in the minors before um, he made the big league roster. Um, my 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 thought is always when thinking about this um, is about um, whether a move to DH um, would just result in in like him becoming stagnant and more injury prone. And maybe that's not true. Maybe, maybe that won't happen, but, um, you know, I just, I worry about his, um, long-term health in a similar way that I worry about Buxton's crashing into walls. And I feel like he's always slightly dinged up and I hope that's not, um, not the case with Sano because he is an incredible hitter and 
you know, for the Twins to sign him as a 16-year-old and him to have developed into the player and hitter he is is really kind of a remarkable success story, honestly. Yeah, no doubt. So um, I guess I kind of wanted to get into your thoughts. We, we've sort of, just talking offline here, brought the idea up of um, maybe what we would do if we were the general manager in charge of the team. <laughs> what 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 would you what what would be your focus as far as the off season? Um, not talking about manager, it sounds like the sounds like as far as tonight, Paul Molitor might be coming back actually, mm-hmm. which I'm a little surprised by. But um, what would you what would you look to do if you were in charge of making decisions for the the roster this off season for the Twins? Yeah, so I. Maybe we can get into a little disagreement here because I saw that we kind of answered this question a little bit differently today, the way that someone put it, um, around like starting pitching versus relief pitching. Um, I think my major focus would be um, power hitting DH, ideally one above average starter, um, and getting a couple of like really dominant relievers. So, you know, looking at the – the free agent pool for, for this off season is not super exciting. Um, especially looking at starting pitching, like you've got, um, Jake Arrieta is obviously going to sign for big money somewhere. Um, you've got you Darvish, um, obviously super unlikely that the twins will get involved in any of that, but signing someone who was a, a little bit of a, a sure thing, someone like, I don't know, Andrew Kashner or Alex Cobb or somebody like that, um, and really, like, beefing up the bullpen. Um, I think the bullpen was a little bit exposed, and I think the the wild card game really didn't necessarily serve as a blueprint because I'm not expecting the Twins to have five guys to throw 100 and have, like, you know, ridiculous K rates. Like, the Yankees situation is a little bit unusual. Um, but there's a sure. ton of free agent relievers. Um, so, like, thinking about left-handed guys, maybe someone like Jake McGee, who had a really good year with the Rockies, or um, Tony Watson. Be fun. Yeah, Tony Watson, who started with the uh, the Pirates and ended up getting traded to the Dodgers. Um, You know, I feel like since the Twins essentially drafted a bullpen, and I forget the year, I want to say, I want to say it was 2012, where they spent, you know, picks in rounds like three through 13 on relief pitchers. Mm -hmm. Some of those guys have started to come through now. Right, Birdie, I want to say John Curtis was that year, and Jake Reed was also sure. that year. Um, Tyler Duffy, you yeah. Know, right. Um, some of those guys appear to be on the cusp and, and definitely have, like, the high-lever stuff, Curtis being a good example. Um, but he, he obviously really struggled when he came up, and I think there's going to be an adjustment <clears throat> period for some of those guys coming into the majors. And I, you know, I almost feel like in terms of getting ready for next year, the Twins were a little bit undone by the their success late in the season. Because um, if they've been struggling or fallen back in the race, um, September might have been a time where you gave a little bit more extended shots to some of those guys, like Curtis, maybe get Jake Reed up, see what he's got, um, and use that as a little bit of an evaluative period to see who's looking really ready for the beginning of the, the 2018 season and, you know, kind of shore up that idea of where you, where you go in um, free agency. But I would say I'm getting a couple of, like, high-velocity, reliable veteran relievers um, and, and trying to pick up an above-average starter. What about you? Well, I I absolutely would get at least one starter and one bullpen guy, but I'd, I'd look at the trade market for starters, maybe even more than the, the free agent market. Look, there's some starters in the, on the free agent market that, like you said, Darvish and Arietta, I, I just don't see them signing. I don't mm-hmm. see the Twins signing any pitcher for five years, $120 million, which either of them will probably take something along those lines or, or just large. I don't see that happening right now. But I would, I would love the Twins to find a team – 
or like six teams, something like that, and say, we want this starter. Um, mm-hmm. uh, somebody maybe that's 27 or 8 or younger, maybe used to be a top prospect, hasn't had success, and the Twins can focus on somebody somebody that maybe still has some untapped potential and trade some of the players in their prospect um, pipeline to try to acquire somebody that the Twins believe can still maybe become something. I, I had hopes that somebody like Kevin Gaussman would be that, and he kind of turned it around the second and a half of the year, and I don't, I don't see the Orioles trading him. But I'd love, I'd love for Falvey and Levine to kind of target somebody that's maybe undervalued and has not performed well but has the build, has the stuff, and maybe just needs to learn a better change-up or better cutter or something and beca- can become something in a rotation. I would I would love – I don't have a name, but I would, I would absolutely love them to use the analytics that they've brought in and, and focus on acquiring somebody that maybe has some untapped potential somewhere that can hopefully become some, something for them and, and give up prospects. I, I, it depends on the prospects, obviously, but – Anybody who is a position player right now in the minors doesn't necessarily arguably have an opening over the next couple, three mm-hmm. years uh, if they're close to the majors. So I love the idea of Nick Gordon, and if he is ready to take over in the next year or two, great. But if he can also bring in a pitcher that they believe can be a starter, like I'd, I'd rather – I'm not saying absolutely trade him, but I'd rather trade prospects than give out $20 million a year to a guy who may or may not still be good in, in two years, where if they believe the 26-year-old former top prospect of X team can maybe become a number two starter, like I'd rather focus on getting that guy in and becoming a starter on the Twins rather than handing out huge money deals to Alex Cobb, who averages about five strikeouts per nine innings just for example, but <clears throat> I like the idea of <clears throat> bullpen guys. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I would need to pay big money, long-term deals for free agent relievers. I'm, I'm just with the volatility of relievers. I'm, I'm scared handing out big money, but I would absolutely try to sign one or two legit bullpen guys rather than going with uh, Matt Belisle um, and free agent scrap heap and hoping somebody becomes good if if you if you have good stuff and I, I think I think the twins were really hurt by injuries this year as far as their bullpen goes like mm-hmm. Trevor May and Ryan O'Rourke and Nick Birdie arguably a few others probably had spots at the major league level and, and had success previously that if they had been healthy and should be healthy again in twenty eighteen they they would have had a spot and had been given a chance to succeed this year where some of those players are coming back now and, and will have an opportunity again. But I, I do think I'm with you where Jake McGee would be awesome or, or Brian Shaw or somebody along those lines that has legit numbers of being able to strike guys out at the major league level in the sixth, seventh, eighth, even ninth inning is something they need to really focus on as well. Yeah, I I agree with a ton of that. I I think I think trades are are definitely a super viable option and and probably the best route for Twins to get um you know a solid pitching prospect. Um you know again looking at the free agent list of like folks that would be probably on the Twins radar in their price range. You've got like maybe. Lance Lynn, who had a good year, but um, none of none of the the names on the list kind of jump out and excite you. Um, I think I would be open to trading prospects too, and and I think despite the fact that they don't have a ton of high end prospects, that um, the Twins farm system is fairly deep with decent prospects. Um, sure, and and, and uh, you know on. On the relief end, that's a, the point about injuries is a good one. Um, Trevor May is going to be interesting to see exactly where he fits when he comes back. Is he potentially going to be um, 
touted as a, a, a starting pitcher because the Twins sure could use another reliable starter, or will he go back to the bullpen, in which case he's a, a potentially a setup guy in the making. Um, but I would definitely be open to to exploring trades as well. What, I guess what I don't want to see the Twins do is rely on the idea of guys like Fernando Romero and Steven Gonzalez um, and Jake Reed being locks at the major league level. Um, because while, while clearly the stuff and the talent is there, um, I think even I think with someone like Barrios, we've seen what the adjustment period looks like. And I think his was incredibly quick. Um, he obviously um, came up for a while in the 2016 season and was absolutely horrible. And I don't think anyone <laughs> could have expected um, the progression and, and just like the degree to which he stepped forward this year. Um, and, and maybe three or four of these guys pan out and end up as a great major league pieces. Um, but I wouldn't want to see the Twins rely on that completely. Um, and I think to your point about not necessarily spending big money, I think there is a happy middle ground when it comes to free agent relievers. Like Belial was a, was an example of someone they signed for, uh, I want to say it was like somewhere between one and two million guaranteed in the offseason. Yeah, it was, it was cheap. Um, Agreed, yeah. Yeah, but someone, you know, someone solid that you could put on like, a two-year deal for $10 million, um, you know, not breaking the bank, but also paying decent dollar for a decent reliever who is, as you mentioned, proven and can get guys out and is used to coming in in those higher leverage situations. Um, because I don't think anyone could have predicted um, the emergence of, of Hildenberger. And I think Buznitz has honestly been a guy that hasn't been talked about much who's had – you know, despite some control issues, has had a really good stint since he came up um, and definitely tips the the Nolasco trade a little bit in the Twins' favor. But looking sure. at the guys <laughs> in the bullpen now for next year, um, is Buddy Bosher someone you want to have in your pen long-term? Probably not. Um, just a lot of question marks. Like Tyler Duffy is another one for me who I think had a really strong start. Um and then got like a lot of benefit of the doubt um, conversation throughout the rest of the season where, as a matter of fact, in the second half, he was atrocious and, and even leading up to the all-star break. And so I really don't think there's many locks for the bullpen next year. Um, so like there's so many guys that will come into spring competing for spots between like, um, you know, I think for locks, we've got Hildenberger, probably Boosnitz, probably Presley. Um, they want back, but there's so many guys that have gotten some type of exposure this year um, that will be competing for, for so few spots that, um, you know, I think one thing Bilal did offer that was talked about that I think is important for the Twins is the the kind of veteran leadership presence, and, and that's kind of an eye-rolling statement. Um <laughs> but I feel like that's that's something that Dozier turned into a little bit this year for the Twins and something that I was personally excited to see. Like, I know Maurer is always criticized as this kind of bland, vanilla guy who's not passionate and not excited. But um, seeing how pumped up Dozier was after hitting his home run off Severino in the first inning, um, yeah, that's fun. would love to see a little bit. Yeah, I would love to see a little bit more of that in the clubhouse. Um and and maybe some veteran pitchers, some veteran relief pitching help can kind of bring that in on the pitching side too. Sure. Well, um, so you said locks. You you think Hildenberger, Busenitz, um, who I I forget who you mentioned. Probably Presley. You, you, I want to say. Yeah, Presley. I would think just because he's controllable and does have the stuff mm-hmm. when he can hit his spots. Well, I would have to imagine Taylor Rogers, even though he has maybe overworked a little bit, maybe you could write his name down. So that that's at least four spots in the bullpen, along with Trevor May mm-hmm. coming back and maybe Ryan O'Rourke as far as uh, a lefty one-out guy. So how, how many other 
you you think maybe two bullpen guys are needed to bring in, or I almost I would kind say of think least, they're going to have yeah. an open competition for some other guys that had AAA mm-hmm. experience to maybe make it. But I, I do believe at least one solid reliever should be brought in, if not arguably two. Yep, I'm with you on that, and maybe that looks like. It's maybe it looks like it's one guy who's on a guaranteed contract, and it's another guy who had a down year in twenty twenty seventeen, and um, kind of gets their way in the same way that um, oh, I've already forgotten his name, who was DFA'd and ended up with Cleveland, but um, Breslow, maybe Breslow. it maybe it, yeah, Breslow. There you go. Thanks. Um, maybe that's what it looks like, but yeah, I think definitely one guy that they go out. Um, fills a certain set of criteria. It's not necessarily a specific name. Um, high velocity, high strikeouts, give him a solid deal. Um, and I think that would definitely make a world of difference in just um, just knowing when we get to the back end of the bullpen that you've got some um, some stability. And I would be really curious, too, about who closes for the Twins next year. That is a question which I'm fascinated to see um, getting mm-hmm. answered over the coming months. Sure. Well, I'm I'm starting to come around to the viewpoint that the closer role necessarily isn't the most important <clears throat> bullpen arm or arms that there is. Like, Belial was pretty mediocre for the first couple months of the year and then really had a good June on. But he, he really excelled in the closer role because the closer comes in with one, two, or three run lead and a clean inning typically in the ninth inning. It's not necessarily the hardest mm-hmm. job compared to the guy that comes in with two on and one out in the seventh. That's arguably even a harder harder role than the closer sometimes. So um, I, I'm with you. Like, if they were to bring in a veteran guy on a two-year, $10 million deal, like you said, or or more than that, I, I wouldn't necessarily care that that person has the – "Quote unquote closer role if they're if they're here mm-hmm. to, to put out the fire I guess whenever that is in the in the middle eight innings that that would be really helpful so Hildenberger and Rogers don't have to be overused like they were this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, and I think you know we we haven't really talked about Mahler. That's that's maybe a conversation for a different time after the deal gets worked <laughs> out or whenever the final details are hammered out, but. Um, Molitor's bullpen use is a is a whole conversation in itself, but um, you know, wanting I think like what you're alluding to is that the most important thing in a bullpen now is is not perceived to be having one dominant guy. It's having enough depth um, and making sure that you get your best relievers into the game to give you an opportunity to win or to protect a lead, whatever that looks like in a specific game situation. So, um, sure. for the Twins, adding depth. Um, I think is key because, you know, through our conversation, we've we've landed on, like, really in the second half, Belial and Hildenberger were the super reliable bullpen guys. And, and you know, G was a solid mop-up man or whatever, but um, sure. Hildenberger was getting thrown essentially, it seemed like, every day for about three weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So So definitely just adding some depth through – you know, the competition of, like, the AAA guys and, and so many guys with all that stuff, adding a veteran guy. And then I think the Twins, you know, their their team to me is starting to um, mirror the, the Royals team a little bit um, if they push that bullpen angle um, in 2015 of, like, that Royals team had a really solid lineup, pretty average starting pitching, um, but then obviously like a dynamite bullpen. Um, and, and to me, I've always thought of that as this seems like a solid model for like a smaller market team that's not um, signing big-name free agents um, as a way to win and be competitive um, in the postseason. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the Twins do um, when the World Series wraps up. Sure. Well, who who do you have for the World Series? Do you do you have? Are you the type of fan that can pick a different team now, or or do you watch the rest of the playoffs in the World Series just to 
baseball, which I guess that's how I kind of am. I don't really have a rooting interest necessarily, but there are teams I can more easily cheer for than others, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, beyond uh, wanting to see the Yankees eliminated as quickly as possible, um, <laughs> I, I don't have a preference. It's similar, similar deal, just, um, you know, a desire to see matchups like Kershaw versus Scherzer or, you know, and just, you know, like even today watching Verlander pitch um, against Sale, um, even though Sale's outing didn't really go very well, but just seeing like sure the best players in baseball rise to the occasion um, in the biggest games and then like the passion and atmosphere of playoff games. Um, I try and catch as much of it as possible. I, I honestly don't, don't know um, for the world series. I kind of, kind of think Cleveland has it going on um, in the AL and, and the NL I'm, I'm really uncertain. Um, I would love the Dodgers um, to get there just because I'm a big Kershaw fan. Um, I spent a year in LA also. So it was a, another great experience getting to go to games at Chavez Ravine. Um, but oh, cool. I, I really, yeah, be, beyond wanting the Yankees not to win, um, whoever I'll just be excited to see good competitive games and, and high quality performances. And if the wild card games are anything to go by the postseason is going to be pretty great. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm, I guess if anything, I'm kind of a closet Dodgers fan this year. Um, also my, my sister's lived out in Los Angeles for the last year and a half. And it's, um, I haven't been to a Dodgers game, but I have been to, to see her and, it's made it easier, even over the last couple of years, listening to uh, Vin Scully on the radio. Like The yeah. Dodgers are a team that, for me, are hard to uh, cheer against, I guess. So it, so if they were to finally make it, where they've had some uh, tough endings the last couple of years against the Cubs and, and whatnot, like, I, I wouldn't hate that. But you're right. Like, other than the Yankees, to an extent, and even the Yankees, the Yankees mostly have players that are basically homegrown now. So for, for that sense, I don't hate them as much as I, I have in other years, but um, I wouldn't mind seeing the Yankees go out early, I guess, but there are a lot of teams that are really easy to cheer for right now. If if you're just stepping back and saying like, I want to see the best baseball played. And that's, that's part of the fun of the playoffs in a lot of, a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think, you know, and, and I don't know whether you feel this way, but the, the, the World Baseball Classic crystallizes a little bit for me. Um, I think when, I don't know if you remember, I want to say it was Ian Kinsler who was whining about um, either the Puerto Rican team or the Dominican team, like, and, and their kind of, like, carnival excited atmosphere that the fans brought, and it was bat flipping, and, and he was being kind of a grump about it. Um, yeah. But... I feel like we've kind of moved into a little bit of a different era for baseball in terms of its, its stars um, in a good way. Sure. Um, yeah. And like the level of excitement generated by them, but also um, their personality, right? Like I'm not a big Bryce Harper fan personally, but I think he's like a tremendous personality for the game of baseball to have. Um and I think he draws people in, and I think that can only be a good thing. Sure, and I'm I'm absolutely all about um, bat flips and showing players up. The the wrestling side of it, I I I like the showmanship. I like the personality coming out. I I, I don't yeah. like necessarily the beanball fights and and the things that can legitimately hurt people. But I I've never minded if if you don't like that somebody is flipping their bat after hitting a long home run, <laughs> maybe pitch better. Strike them out. Like that's that's how I've kind of, right, right. Yeah, that's how I've kind of always looked at it. Like, <laughs> you should have fun. If you hit a long home run, yay on you. Like, not many people can do that. So in, enjoy the moment. Like, that's how I've always kind of looked at it, too. Like, just be happy when you have the opportunity. It's it's, it's not like a business meeting that you're attending. You're You're playing a sport that kids want to play. Like, have fun, I guess. Is how I look at it more Agreed. than anything. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, 
Well, yeah, we're God, this hour went really quickly. Um, one more time, uh, if you could say maybe your name and your Twitter handle, I would love for people to be able to connect with you as well and, and talk talk sports, talk uh, talk Twins baseball, that sort of thing. And, and you and I will obviously connect over the coming weeks and months about thoughts on the Twins' potential off-season moves. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so, again, my name is Jamie Cameron. Um, my Twitter handle is at J underscore D underscore Cameron. Um, so that's where you can find me. I'm always down to engage in um, conversation and, and dialogue around any Minnesota sports. So I'm always happy to do that and definitely appreciate you having me on, Corey. Yeah, this was fun. It was fun to, fun to chat. Uh, maybe next time we have a podcast, I'd be up for having you up here at some point if we can get away from the kids. <laughs> Definitely, man. That sounds great. I'll be down for sure. Cool. Well, yeah, uh, once again, this is Baseball is Good, and thank you, Jamie, for coming on, and I hope you have a good night. For sure. Have a good one. Thanks.